Nehemiah, the first chapter. This is an amazing uh, story because we have been re- refreshing and, and touching on the mission of the church, what God has called us to do together as we from three predominantly Anglo churches decided to come together and build a new multicultural, multi-ethnic congregation that will not look always like the past ones, but they will always have a forward movement toward the next generation. And we've been reminded ourselves that God has called us to that mission God gave us that opportunity out of close to death. He called us out and has strengthened us and has moved us forward. Today, I want to share with you about how some of us can come together to make this vision a reality. But I want to share with you scripture from the the first chapter of Nehemiah, and I'm going to be reading from just the first four verses. Listen for unto the word of the Lord, Nehemiah chapter 1. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some others, other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked him about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Word of the Lord. Our gospel this morning is a very brief statement. It is actually from John chapter 20. As the Lord Jesus is appearing to the disciples, he says to them, and again he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The gospel of the Lord. It is amazing how the world turns around. Mission for the Presbyterians has been a very, very important thing since its inception back in in Geneva when we began to want to take over some other cantons in Switzerland rather violently. But those were the days. (laughs) We missed them. Yet in the 1800s, A big missionary effort came out of England and Europe and even America to Africa and Latin America. In 1902, listen to this, in 1902, over 100 years ago, the Presbyterian Women National Board decided to go across the Caribbean into a small island that just four or five years ago had been taken as a territory to the United States from Spain. And in in 1898, Presbyterian missionaries went to Puerto Rico. They scoured the island. And among the four missionaries that were with the U.S. Armada in that July 25th, 1898, they divided the island amongst themselves. And the Presbyterians took a hold of the west side of the island. The Methodists had the northeastern side of the island. The old Congregationalists had the center. And the Baptists, we gave them the south. They're used to that. 
But that's the way it was divided among the missionaries. However, in four years of that intervention, in the year 1902, already the Presbyterian Women National Board had built that hospital that's there. It's called Hospital Presbyteriano. Built in 1902, where in 1959 I was born. Now, these ladies had a mission heart just like Jesus. And they said, we're not going to go to the island just to preach. We want to go to the island and do what Jesus did. Jesus preached, Jesus taught, and Jesus healed. So they decided to do that threefold mission as they began to figure out how to preach and how to teach because it was very natural for these women, many of them nurses, to practice healing in the name of Jesus. In 1904, interestingly enough, by the way, this is a picture of the new hospital facade. In 1904, they opened La Universidad Interamericana, Interamerican University, which today, my sister is a graduate from it, a Presbyterian started school, by the Dr. James Harrison. And by the way, Pastor McAllister was the missionary who gave his life to get a presbytery and, that, and, and a university started. And that's the picture of today's chapel and university, Presbyterian University in Puerto Rico, Interamerican. Amazing. In four years, they had a college, they had a hospital, and in 1902, the New York Presbytery established the Presbytery of Puerto Rico with four churches. In 1909, there were 17. Today, it's its own synod with over 76 congregations and growing. What did you guys do over there? Well, you took a gospel. You took a gospel that transformed lives. And, and many years later, there was this, this man who lived in the west coast of the island. His name is Mario Rivera Mendez. And, and he was a very poor little boy who met a missionary in the city of Aguadilla in the west coast of the island. And he says, you are material for a pastor. And the kid believed him and went to college. And then went, showed up at this guy's house. And guess where this guy lived? This missionary. Columbus, Georgia. And Dr. Rivera was accepted at Columbia Theological, where he graduated. And then he went to Princeton, and then he went to Fuller, where he got his doctorate in counseling. And then he went back to Columbus, Georgia, and he preached at a church for a while until a gentleman called Mickey Rice met him here at the Atlanta Presbytery in the early 60s, along with the churches in Tucker, in Stone Mountain, Columbus, and Augusta, Georgia, they put monies together to start a mission field called Iglesia Presbyteriana de Avivamiento Barbara and Rossler Memorial. From those missionaries to that pastor who was my pastor and my mentor. That's why I'm there, the only reason I'm there. Because he was my pastor. And at the age of 17, he said, Tom, he actually said this, kid, come along with me. I think you could be a good pastor. I said, uh-uh, but I'll go with you. It was an airplane. And that was my mentor. World missions is an amazing thing that happens. World mission is an amazing thing that God has designed. Actually, it was always people that were sent by God. And these Presbyterians felt they were sent by God to the islands. And they were sent by God to, to you know, that's my story. But if I ask the Kangetis, if I ask 
Angie, Esther. If I ask my brother Charles Nyaga, similar stories. Similar stories of world mission that went overseas, changed and brought the gospel of Jesus Christ into our lives. But guess what? The world has come to us. The world has come to us, and just like Nehemiah, who, who, who wanted to see and was concerned. You know, Nehemiah was not even born in Jerusalem. He, was ne- he never saw Jerusalem before this concern. He was a sender. He was one of those who had the influence enough in the palace, we believe, that he was able to facilitate the situation when Darius and Cyrus and then the whole uh, uh, conflict of the power struggle out there when, when Assyria, when Babylon stopped being the power and Assyria took over, Persia took over, and all that power struggle took place. God was in charge. And God has God's people in there. And they were senders. They actually facilitated for the first group of Jews to go back to Israel. So even before Nehemiah received the, the information from Hanani, his brother, that the things were not well in Judah, he was concerned. He was a supporter of the mission to Judah. He was a sender. Now, in the story, if we continue to read the story, his life begins to change and he begins to want to stop being a sender and wants to be a goer. And that's what actually happens in the rest of the story. He stops being a sender. He becomes a goer. Not only a goer, but he gets the blessing of of the king. He gets letters of credits to go. He gets the full support of a kingdom to go back and restore the walls. Because he changed from a sender to a goer. And amazingly, that is the pattern that God uses with people after people in scripture. Moses was a sender and then he became a goer. Abraham was sent by God, and then he became a goer also. At every part of their life, some of these people became, were senders, some of them were goers. I think of it today as, as the idea of a family, for example. A family, when, when they have the kids that are very young, it is a very difficult time to enjoy romance in the couple. Why? Because there's a lot of demands that need to, for a sender to take care of. And the wife may be a sender in a particular hours, taking care of things outside of the home, while the husband may be the, the, you know, dealing with stuff also. But they each exchange the roles because the roles are actually exchangeable. Many times in our life, we have been able to be senders and help support, pray, encourage other people who are doing ministries. And, 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 that's what we like. But some of us are just not satisfied, Beverly Pierce. She's just not satisfied with being a sender. She wants to be a goer. And she wants to start touching families with young kids. And she wants to minister. And that is the sense that we're developing here. A new sense of senders and goers. All of us were goers at some time in our churches. Oh, you may have been amazing, you know, strong columns in those congregations. But as life goes by and energy drains and youth is wasted on the youth, like I say. Now is a time that perhaps you can be a sender. Supporting other ministries right here at Latter Hope. Praying for the ones who are goers here in the church. There's a lot of us who are going and going. And that is the point. You see, we cannot have senders 
if we don't have goers. And we can't have goers if we don't have senders. Does that make sense, Mr. James? Yes, sir. It does make sense. So senders cannot send unless they have goers, and goers cannot go unless they have But they both share one thing in common. They both share one thing in common. Sacrifice. You see, because our master, our teacher, was also sent by the Father. But he was sent to us in such a way that he was to give it all. Give it all. Say it with me. Give it all up. Including his own life. And because he was an obedient, sent sacrifice. (laughs) I don't know if it's a joke, David, or if it's a real spiritual command. But then he says the amazing words. As as the Father has sent me, so I have sent you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. You know, I like to own some of these statements because it's nice to hear it that way in that far away. As the Father has sent me, so I have sent you and not me. How about if we repeat it? As the Father has sent me, no, I am sent. You're not sending me. As the Father has sent me, I am being sent. Can we say it that way? As the Father has sent Jesus, I am being sent. Let's say it again. As the Father has sent Jesus, I am being sent. So you have a choice this morning. To what degree in this next year that we have amazing, that we're beginning to look outside, we're beginning our outreach. Something is happening because visitors are coming to this church and guess what? They're staying. Oh boy. Now it's getting for real. Let's say it again. As the Father has sent Jesus, so I have been sent. Sent to that neighbor that doesn't know you yet. Sent to that new connection that we don't know yet. That is why God has called us together so that we can touch our community. Lord, help us not to just be hearers of your word, but to also be doers of such words. Amen.